Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Thank you, Brian, for leading us in prayer. Parents, you may dismiss your children for Children's Church at this time if you would like to do that. And let me just um, note here, uh, while we're dismissing children, that um, the subject matter of the passage I'm about to read in the sermon I'm about to preach um, contains some mature themes and uh, might not be appropriate for all children. So parents, you might want to keep that in mind as you're thinking about whether to dismiss your children for Children's Church. So thank you, Children's Church teachers. You can open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, there are paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you, so you can grab one of those, and the passage is found on page 8. Genesis chapter 19. My wife and I, Mary, go to uh, visit my mother, who's at Westminster Village in in Muncie, and very often when we get there, um, we notice my mom's sitting in the front room, and she's watching the Hallmark Channel. That seems to always be on. there at Westminster, and maybe you know something about the Hallmark Channel. It's kind of regarded as being kind of family programming, they call it. It's uh, very very clean, very sanitized, very safe shows, very G-rated. Um, sometimes people equate the Hallmark Channel with, with Christian values. I'm not here to offer any criticism of the Hallmark Channel. Maybe you like that channel. Great. Good for you. Um, But um, sometimes people read the Bible and they're surprised when it's not like the Hallmark Channel. When you read the Bible, when you read the whole Bible, sometimes you find that it's quite messy, that it's pretty blunt, that it can be really gritty, and sometimes it can be shocking and even somewhat offensive. And that's the case in the passage that we're going to be reading here today in Genesis chapter 19. So I'm just telling you that so that you're ready. Get ready for the passage that we are about to read. It is no Hallmark Channel show. Uh, The purpose of this passage, however, is to give to us, to give to God's church a warning about the danger of worldliness. It is possible to be a worldly Christian, to be worldly To be worldly is not necessarily to be an unbeliever. A worldly Christian is a possibility. So let me just pause for a second and define what I mean by worldly. By worldly, I don't mean enjoying a nice dinner at night. I don't mean going out and playing basketball with your friends. I don't mean listening to a beautiful piece of music and enjoying it. That's not what the Bible means by worldliness. Worldliness instead is... When we live in this life as if this life is all there is with no consideration for the next life. It's when we live by sight and not by faith. It's when we live for our glory and not God's glory. It's when we live to be served rather than to serve. It's when we live in pride rather than humility. It's when we adopt the values of the culture rather than the values of Scripture. It's when we live to advance our agenda instead of God's kingdom. Kevin DeYoung, I think, has a a good definition of worldliness. He says, anything that makes sin look normal and righteousness look strange is worldliness. 
And that's what this passage in Genesis 19 is about. And the person at the center of this passage is a man named Lot. You might remember Lot as we're going through this series on Abraham, that Lot is Abraham's nephew. And we've heard a few things about Lot in the few chapters preceding, but we hear more about Lot back in chapter 13. Maybe you'll remember Abraham and Lot are in the same land, and they both have a lot of possessions. They both have a lot of servants and people, and they decide to separate because they have so much stuff. And Abraham very graciously gives Lot the opportunity to decide where he wants to go, and Lot moves towards Sodom. And that sets up the passage that we're about here to read in Genesis chapter 19. You might remember Sodom is described as a, an exceedingly wicked place. And yet, 2 Peter 2.7 also describes Lot as a righteous man. So as we read this passage, I think we need to be considering that, that Lot is a believer. And so that's why I'm calling this sermon, The Worldly Christian. Um, this is a long chapter. So rather than just reading the whole thing here at the beginning, I think what we'll do is uh, read it in short chunks. So we'll read it in three different chunks according to the three points that I'm going to share with you here today. And so the three things that I want to show you are decisions that lead to worldliness, and then secondly, actions that expose worldliness in our hearts, and then thirdly, consequences that follow worldliness. And I think we'll see all of these displayed throughout these 38 verses. So rather than standing to read God's Word, let me just begin um, by sharing with you this first point, decisions that lead to worldliness based on these first 11 verses of Genesis chapter 19. So I'm going to read those now. Genesis 19, 1 through 11. <clears throat> the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. <clears throat> and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand, <clears throat> Stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door." So let's just pause there, thinking here about decisions that lead to worldliness. So here's what's happening. 
Um, you remember the, the three visitors who came to visit Abraham and Sarah, that was back in chapter 18. And uh, we noted that of the three, one's God and there's two kind of angelic men, and so 19.1 is referring to those two angels who at the very end of chapter 18 were sent down to Sodom. And so these two angels arrive at this wicked city, and they are met by Lot, who is sitting there at the gate of Sodom. And so Lot greets them, and as was very common in that day, Lot offers hospitality to them. And remember, we saw Abraham offer gracious hospitality to the visitors when they visited him, and now Lot, following the example of his uncle, also invites them into his home to wash their feet and to eat and take it easy and spend the night. And the visitors say, <clears throat> you know, no, no, no thanks, we'll send, spend time in the square. But then Lot, there in verse 3, it says he presses them strongly. Lot does not want these visitors spending time in the town square, and the reason why is because he knows that Sodom is a dangerous place, and that if they go out and spend the night in that square, who knows what might happen to them. They might not survive, so he presses them, no, 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 you've got to stay with me, and they agree, and they come in, and they stay with him, and he provides a meal for them. And then, <clears throat> starting in verse 4, after these men come in, before they lay down, they're about ready to go to sleep, and then suddenly this mob, this gang, shows up in verse 4 and surrounds the house. And you'll note that in verse 4 we're told that it's men both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. So this is an enormous group. This is like every man in the city come, surround Lot's house, and they make this demand. They say, Bring out the men in the house, verse 5. These men who are your visitors, bring them out that we may know them. Now, that word for know is very commonly used in the Old Testament to refer to sexual relations. And if you have an NIV translation, that's how the Bible translates it, that these men are saying, bring these men, your visitors, bring them out that we might have sex with them. And so Lot sees this and he desires to protect his uh, visitors, so in verses 6 and 7, he goes out and he has a conversation. He says, don't do this wicked thing. But what we see here is this very shocking display of a group of men desiring to have homosexual sex with Lot's visitors. Now, last week, you might recall that I gave several verses talking about the various sins that existed in the city of Sodom. So there's a lot of sins in that city. It's an exceedingly wicked place. There are social sins, the refusal to help the poor, but there are also many sexual sins. And there are some people today who kind of want to try to excuse that and read other things into this text and act like it's not really sexual in nature, but it is. In Jude verse 7 talks about the sensual conduct of the people of Sodom. This is very clearly a demonstration of wickedness being displayed in the actions of homosexual behavior. It's given to us as one of the signs of a city that has descended deep into the sins of wickedness. And later in the New Testament, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. He says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, women exchanging natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I wonder if Paul had Sodom in mind when he wrote that. That seems to be what's happening here in Sodom. This is such a wicked place that God now in his judgment has just given them over to their desires and they are indulging in them without restraint. And it's even become a public display. They're arriving, it's the whole city coming out and surrounding Lot's house and shamelessly seeking to engage in this behavior. Now, I think 20 or 30 years ago we would have read this and maybe be shocked. Today we're not so shocked because this kind of thing is not only going on in Sodom, but things similar to this are going on in the United States in the 21st century, which makes us wonder exactly how righteous this nation is in which we live. But here we have this indulgence in homosexual behavior, and it is held up for us as an example of the wickedness of Sodom. But what might even be more shocking then this little event is what we see in verse 8, and that is that Lot has a solution. You know what the solution is? He says, no, don't have sex with my visitors. How about you take my daughters, and you can do with them whatever you want. Now, what in the world is Lot thinking? And there are people who try to explain what might be going on in in Lot's mind. I I mentioned the value of hospitality, uh, which in this culture was much more highly valued then than it is now. Um, Remember Abraham and Sarah just getting up and running and getting the calf and just doing everything they can to take care of their visitors. So, you know, perhaps Lot here is just thinking, look, my first responsibility here is to take care of my guests. And maybe he's just panicked and he doesn't really know what he's thinking and this idea just kind of springs out of his mouth. He places his family second to the responsibility for hospitality. Maybe he might be setting a trap because uh, these daughters are betrothed to be married. Verse 14 tells us that. So um, for men to have sex with women who are betrothed to be married to another man would be punishable by death. And so maybe Lot is thinking, here, I'll just offer these women up, but when these men hear that, there's no way they're actually going to do it, and the whole thing will just end. Maybe that's what Lot is thinking. I don't know. You don't know. One thing we do know is that this action is totally without justification and completely deplorable and and shocking and offensive. And so, you know, what a mess, right? (laughs) Here's Lot in this horrible situation. He's led to offer this wicked solution, and we might just ask this question, how did he get into this mess? How did he get here? And I would suggest to you that one of the ways he got here is because of certain decisions that Lot has been making over the course of his life. Tiny decisions that maybe didn't really seem that big of a deal, but these decisions are engaged in a kind of a progression. So let me show you what I mean by that. Back in chapter 13, Verse 12, this was uh, the chapter that describes Abraham and Lot together trying to figure out what to do with all their possessions, and then Abraham gives Lot the decision, and here's what Lot does. He moved his tent as far as Sodom. So that's a decision he made. I'm not going to hang around next to Uncle Abraham here. There's more exciting things for me to do. I'm going to head towards Sodom. And then the very next chapter, verse 14 verse 12, now we see Lot, the son of Abraham's brother, who was 
dwelling in Sodom. I thought you were just going to go close to Sodom, Lot. Yeah, yeah, that was fine for a while, but wow, there was an opportunity in the city, and so we decided to go move in. So then he moves in the city, and now we see at the beginning of chapter 19, verse 1, Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now what's the gate? The gate is known as uh, kind of the place, maybe similar to the town square. This was the place where most of the civic activity of the city would, would take place. This is where judgments would be made by people in such positions in the city. And so it appears that Lot has taken such a position. He's not only living in the city, he's a leader in the city. And now he's just deep down in it. He is immersed in the wickedness of an evil city. Lot had made decisions, and his decisions were driven more by worldly concerns. They were driven by thoughts of success and money and luxury and comfort and pleasure, self-advancement, getting what he wanted. And apparently, spiritual concerns were put to the side, and he made certain decisions that led him into this situation. So friends, all of us are faced with big decisions in our lives, right? And those decisions have consequences. Friends, we need to be thinking, when we come to big decisions in our lives, we need to always be thinking, how is this going to affect me spiritually? What is the spiritual component to what I'm about to do? Is this thing I'm about to do going to open the door for worldliness to enter into my heart and into my household? I mean, when you think about getting a new job, for instance, getting a new job is not a worldly thing. Having a job is not a worldly thing. That's a good thing. Using your skills and your training and ability to serve somewhere and make a living and make money, there's nothing worldly about that. But if you consider a job without any consideration about how that's going to affect you spiritually, that is worldly. Or how about when you think about going to college? Your parents, you've got kids about ready to go to college and you want that child to get into the best school possible. That's a good thing. There's nothing worldly about that. But as you think about going to a college, have you asked, is there a strong Christian fellowship where your son or daughter can engage in while that son or daughter is at college? Is that something to think about? It is. It's not the only thing to think about, but it's one of the chief things to think about. The worldly thing is sending your child off to college without any consideration of what Christian fellowship church opportunities exist. When you think about a potential spouse, you want to think about somebody you're attracted to. There's nothing worldly about that. God made men to be attracted to women and women to be attracted to men. That's a good thing. But if you're thinking about a spouse without any consideration for how that potential spouse might affect you spiritually, that's a worldly thing. You need to find somebody who shares your convictions of living for the glory of Christ first and foremost. So people make these kinds of decisions. They put spiritual concerns aside, and they find themselves in a mess like, like Lot. That can happen. Now, we've all made bad decisions, friends, right? All of us have. I have too. I've made bad decisions, decisions that I regret. The good news, friends, is God can redeem those decisions. He can restore the years that the locust has eaten. God is good in that way. But what heartache can be saved if we're careful about the decisions we make? Okay, second thing we see. There are certain actions in this passage that expose worldliness. 
certain actions that expose an attitude of worldliness in the heart. So now verses 12 through 29. Let's just pick up where we left off. 12 through 29. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh, no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? and my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city to which you have, uh, of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Okay, actions that expose an attitude of worldliness that has sunk in the heart. So first of all, let's think of uh, the actions of Lot. These angels, in verse 12, they come and they tell Lot about his family. If you got anybody in the family here that needs to know about this, you need to tell them right away because they say we're about to destroy this place in verse 13. And so Lot goes and he speaks to his family and in verse 14 we see that he tells his um, sons-in-law, his future sons-in-laws, those who are about to marry his daughters, and he tells them you need to get out of here. The Lord is about to destroy this place And their response is to think that Lot is joking. Now, a lot of people think that, don't they, when Christians talk about judgment, it just sounds like this primitive thing, and they just kind of laugh it off. And maybe Lot's future sons-in-laws thought the same thing. Maybe they didn't believe in judgment, but you know what? Maybe they didn't believe Lot. Because maybe there's so much worldliness in Lot's heart that he has just lost credibility. He tells these Sons-in-law, what's going to happen? They don't believe him. This is a guy who's immersed in the world all the time, and now you're telling me about a judgment? I mean, none of the rest of your life seem to indicate you believe that, and now you're telling me this is real? Worldly Christians lose credibility in the world. So the angels come, and they urge him again. In verse 15, get out, get out, get your wife, get your daughters, This place is about to be swept up. And then in verse 16, we see this key verse. And this is where we see an action that exposes the worldliness in Lot's heart. He lingered. He he knows what's going to happen. He believes what's going to happen. You can tell he believed it because he just told his sons-in-law that it's going to happen. He believes in the judgment of God. We're told that he's a righteous man in 2 Peter 7. Again, this is a believer. 
And yet, when he's told about this coming judgment, he lingers. He, he hesitates. He pauses. He's not so sure. He doesn't really know if he wants to let go of Sodom. He, he loves Sodom. Rather than resisting the wickedness that have been around him all of these years, it's absorbed into his system. And now he's kind of in the balance. He's got one foot in Sodom and one foot in God's kingdom, and he doesn't know which way he wants to go. It's really interesting in 2 Peter 2, I think here we have another evidence that Lot was truly a believer because it says Lot was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Speaking of Lot in Sodom. So Lot in Sodom was distressed. He was, he was bothered by what he saw in Sodom. I mean, that's a sign of a, a truly regenerate Christian person. You see sins going on around you, and it, and it bothers you. you. You don't just look the other way. You're distressed by this. It troubles you, and a troubled Lot. But even though it troubled Lot, it allured Lot at the same time. He was offended, and he was drawn to it at the same time. That's the worldly Christian. We kind of know these things are wrong, but our hearts long for it. We can't let it go. And that's what's going on with Lot. He can't release it. So much so that you get to verses 18 through 21, and as the angels are about to destroy the place and everybody's leaving, Lot pauses to barter with the angels. And he says, uh, please don't make me run too far from Sodom. Can I have this little city over here? It's a little city. It's a tiny thing. It's not that big a deal. Can't you just let me stay there? And I guess in the men's grace and patience, they just say, yeah, okay, fine. You can stay there. But what we see here in, in Lot is the worldliness in his heart is exposed. He wants the pleasures of Sodom within reach. He doesn't want to get too far away. And isn't that the case, friends? I mean, come on, let's just be realistic. We all know what that's like. We're offended by certain sins, we're offended by certain sexual things that we see, and our hearts are kind of drawn to them at the same time. And we waffle, and we hesitate. We don't make a clean break. And that's what's going on here with Lot. But we also see this, oh, let me share with you, yeah, what J.C. Ryle says, speaking of the worldly Christian. They love Jesus, but the work they do for him is small. They hate the devil, but they appear to tempt him to come to them. They know time is short, but they live as if it were long. They know they have a race to run, yet they often look like people sitting still. They know the judge is at the door, and yet they appear half asleep. I mean, how many Christians in our day and age are half asleep spiritually? Because their hearts are so filled with worldliness. So, actions, um, Lot's wife. The actions of Lot's wife. The second example where we see worldliness exposed in the heart, and this situation is, is even worse because the destruction happens, verses 24 and 25. The cities are overthrown. <clears throat> the fire and brimstone comes. It's all rained down, sulfur and fire on the city. They're destroyed, and now, by the way, we get the answer to the question we had at the very end of chapter 18. Remember when Abraham was bartering with God and said, if there's 10 righteous people in the city, will you not destroy it? God says, I won't. Well, now we know. Ten righteous people were not found because God is destroying the city. And then we see the worldliness in Lot's wife's heart in verse 26 because what does she do? As she's leaving, she 
looks back. Verse 26, Lot's wife behind him looked back. Now why is that so significant? Because if you back up to verse 17, look what God or the angels say to her. Don't look back. I mean, could it be any more obvious and explicit? And yet that's exactly what Lot's wife does. She, she looks back. And as a result, she gets turned into a pillar of salt, it says in verse 26. Kind of an odd thing to see. What does that mean? Well, this is a high concentration of, of salt there in the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. There will be salt spray coming off the Dead Sea. It's actually very common in that area for salt formations to be found, even to this day, in that part of the world. Probably what happened is she got struck down somehow, not sure how, but probably not turned into a pillar of salt immediately, but after she died and her corpse lay there for a time, she became encrusted with salt. Probably what happened, but we're not told the details. But Lot's wife, heart, is filled with worldliness. And so she looks back, just like Lot, just like her husband, not sure she wants to leave it behind. And she looks back, and God judges her. So by way of application here, what do we say about the worldliness in our hearts? Uh, let me just say this. I mean, a- application here, I think, can be, can be tricky because Jesus has said to us, right, that he doesn't want us out of the world. He says we are to be in the world and not of the world. When he prays to the Father and the high priestly prays, he says, don't take him out of the world. But the scripture also says, don't love the world. Now, let's just, that's tricky, isn't it? I mean, we're swimming in the waters of the world all the time, and yet we're told not to love the world. And so I just want to acknowledge to you that applying this can be tricky, can be difficult. We also want to avoid legalism. We don't want to set up a bunch of arbitrary rules. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what movies you should watch and the friends you should hang out with and what music you should listen to or the movies, yeah, music, movies, and entertainment and how you should spend your time. We want to avoid a legalistic attitude about how we deal with worldliness. But friends, don't let those two things dull or weaken the force of this passage, which is a warning to Christians to avoid the dangers of worldliness. I mean, a good example, I think, of Puritan Thomas Watson said, it's like when you think of a boat, a boat in the water is where it belongs. A a boat should be in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that it starts to sink. And Christians should be in the world. That's where we belong. That's where God wants us. But when the world gets into the Christian, that's when we begin to sink. And I think this passage is here to warn us about that. Friends, are you intentional? Are you thoughtful about the way you spend your time, the people you hang out with, the things you look at on your smartphone, the movies you watch on Netflix, the music that you listen to, the way you spend your money, what you do on a Sunday morning? Are you thoughtful about those things? Are you intentional about it? There might be some things in your entertainment habits that you need to cut out because you're allowing worldliness into your heart and into your soul. And that worldliness will come out just like it came out of Lot and just like it came out of Lot's wife. Look what Jesus says in Luke 17. Remember Lot's wife. This is not just Old Testament stuff. Jesus says Lot's wife is there to give a warning to you. Remember her. She looked back. 
Don't look back, look ahead in your devotion to Christ. One last thing we want to consider are consequences that follow from worldliness. We've seen decisions that lead to it, actions that have exposed it, now consequences that follow, verses 30 to 38. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son, and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So, consequences that follow worldliness. We've seen the worldliness in Lot's heart. Lot used to live in this exciting city called Sodom. And where is he now? Living in a cave with his two daughters. The destruction of the city has taken place. You can imagine Lot and his daughters may be thinking, we're the only ones left on the earth. I mean, it might be like some apocalyptic movie, you know, they peek out of the cave and they don't see anybody. All they see is the smoke rising up from Sodom, which is what Abraham saw. And they might be thinking, we're the last ones here. And so they develop this concern in verse 31. There's like, how are we going to have offspring? And how are we going to do that if there are no men on the earth? And the idea is brought forth. There's a plan. There's one man on the earth, our dad, Lot. So they decide to get him drunk, and they make this plan to each lie with him, and that's what they do. And in verse 36, we're told that both became pregnant after lying with their father. The older daughter who's laying with her father produces a son named Moab, and from, the Mo, from Moab becomes the Moabites, and the younger who lay with her father had a son named Ben-Ami, and from him come the Ammonites. And what you'll see as you look throughout the Old Testament is the Moabites and the Ammonites become constant enemies and obstacles to God's people, Israel. That's one of the consequences of all that has gone on here. So just when you thought things couldn't get any worse in this chapter, it does. And we've got these daughters doing this perverse thing, laying with their father. But you know what? Maybe we shouldn't be so surprised. It's a highly sexualized culture. We saw that in this mob that surrounded the house. Highly sexualized cultures produce highly sexualized people. Highly sexualized cultures even produce highly sexualized children. And maybe you recognize that in the culture in which we live now. What about Lot's influence? Lot's a believer. What did he do for his daughters? How did he instruct his daughters? Apparently his influence is basically negligible, nothing. There's 
worldliness in his heart, so why are we surprised there's worldliness in his daughter's hearts? They're just following the example of what they've seen all around them in the city of Sodom. So here's what John Currid says, Lot's daughters have been raised in Sodom, exposed to all the wicked and vile practices of that society. They had absorbed the local culture. They were Sodomites to the core. One can take the daughters out of Sodom, but not the influence of Sodom out of the daughters. So, here's the consequences of this worldly behavior. These two daughters that devise this perverse plan to perpetuate their offspring. So, let's just stop here as we bring this to a close and just think about this man, Lot. What became of Lot? Uh, There's really nothing else about him in the rest of the Old Testament. He just kind of falls away from from the the story. And, um, you know, we're all kind of just disgusted with his behavior. Did Lot lose his salvation? I mean, I wonder if God just said, you know, sat down and reviewed the light of the life of Lot and just thought, yeah, you know, I, now that I think about it a lot, eh, can't have you in my kingdom anymore. Sorry. I, I know you believed, but nope, you're out. I mean, is that what happened? I mean, the scripture doesn't really tell us that, except that, again, we get to Second Peter 7, and it talks about Lot's righteous soul. Did Lot lose his salvation? I don't think so. Because God does not revoke his promise of eternal life to his people. He doesn't do that. And, and we see this various places in this passage where God is just intervening and saving Lot. Verse 10, right? When the mob comes around the house, um, the men, they, they reach in and they grab Lot and they pull him out of the way and then they strike the men with blindness in verse 11. I mean, it's just God intervening in his mercy and saving Lot and his family. Same thing in verse 16. Lot lingers. What are you doing, Lot? So, well, the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters. The Lord being merciful to him, it says, and brought him out. In God's mercy, he saved Lot. Fact is, Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, and Lot is not. Because God is merciful to him. The grace of God is greater than Lot's sin. There's no condemnation for him. And if you're thinking, I can't believe this, here's one guy that really ought to be destroyed, and that's Lot. That might be what you're thinking. But if you're thinking that, you don't realize that you need to be destroyed too. You deserve that. If you want judgment for Lot, you really want judgment for yourself in the same way? God brought him out. And here's the promise again in 2 Peter 2. If God rescued righteous Lot, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God rescued Lot, and he'll rescue you too. There's worldliness in your heart, I know that, because there's worldliness in my heart. And it grieves me, the worldliness in my heart. But I rejoice more in the fact that my salvation is secure in a God who is faithful to his promises. Look at verse 20. I think here's where we see the gospel. Verse 20, as the, it says, Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, um, no, sorry, not verse 20, verse 27. Nope, verse 29, sorry. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had left. 
So that's kind of a summary of everything that's happened here. God rescued Lot. And why did he rescue Lot? Because he remembered Abraham. He didn't remember Lot. (laughs) He remembered Abraham. Lot is not rescued because of Lot. Lot is rescued because of somebody else. God remembers Abraham. He remembers the covenant that he made with Abraham. He remembers the promise that he made to Abraham. And you can be rescued too, not because God's going to remember you by yourself, but because God remembers the son of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death on a cross, and his resurrection from the dead. That's how you can know that you're going to be rescued if your trust is in another, and that person is Jesus. There's worldliness in all of us. What a grievous thing, but take heart, friends. Jesus has overcome the world. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the warnings you give to us. Sometimes they sting. Sometimes they require change. Uh, But, Lord, we're so gracious that you're truthful with us, and we're so thankful, Lord, that you rescue the ungodly from trials, and our hope is in that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.